0: This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to our first episode of 2019 for On The Grid. Thanks for joining us in our 16th year as a show 14 on Radio at SEN and this is our second year of podcasting and we really thank everyone who's been behind us for the last 16 years or so. Another massive show, as it always is. Richard Crayle to join us in a tick. We're going to have a look at what's coming up this weekend in regards to the Bathurst 12-hour GT racing at its best. It's going to be live to wear if you can't get up to Bathurst to watch it for 12 hours on 7, mate. How cool is that? Mark Brax to join us as well. The Phillip Island Classic was on last weekend. And we'll also have a quick look at uh, the World Superbikes coming up in a couple of weeks at Phillip Island as well. All that to come right here on The Grid. As Richard Crail joins us on the line now to talk about the start of Australian motorsport for 2019, of course that is, the Bathurst 12 Hour and he joins us on the line now. good day to you.
1: Hello, Shabek, nice to be back on the grid for another year.
0: Nice to have you back on the grid for another year, mate, and... Uh, Bathurst it's the place of dreams it's the place that we love to visit and it's a place that has become even more essential in our psyche I suppose now that the 12 hour has really hit its strap over the last couple of years and can really be considered the start of the Australian motorsport season now.
1: Yeah, it can, and and probably even more than that in in a, a season that never seems to really end, does it? Because it feels like only two months ago we were in Newcastle, the end of the supercars, because we were. Um, it, more than that, it, it it's a. Uh, a global event and it's the start of the global gt3 calendar obviously we've we've seen the conclusion of the rolex 24 at daytona but that's a, a big banger sports car class but the bread and butter of gt racing is, is gt3 and this is the first major all gt3 enduro of many in the world and it's now one of the top two three or four most prestigious of those races so it's an amazing way to start the year. It's an amazing place, as we all know, and, and Bathurst doesn't get any less exciting or any less epic the more times you go to it. It continues to deliver remarkable things, and um, I have no doubt that this year's iteration of the Lickamolly Bathurst 12-hour will do the same.
0: Take us through the difference. Uh, everyone's watched a, a Bathurst 1000, and they've seen the the big bangers, the V8s going around the mountain. Take us through the the difference between watching a V8 do a lap of Mount Panorama compared to a GT car, a Ferrari, a Mercedes, Mm. a Lamborghini, an Audi?
1: Well, they produce their speed differently. Shebex is probably the the most noticeable thing, and a GT car is based on grip and downforce and aero, uh, sort of traction across the top of the mountain, whereas the supercar, which... Let's be honest, grew up at Mount Panorama when the V8 formula was introduced and that evolved out of the Group A cars of the 80s and 90s. Um, That car evolved to suit Mount Panorama better than any other racetrack. Big V8, lots of torque, get up the hill really quickly and then get down it really quickly. The stuff at the top, you hang on. GT3 cars are a little bit different um, in that they make all of their speed across the top where there's all the really fast corners. So from the cutting to Forest Elba at the top of Conrad Strait, a GT3 car is anywhere between 1.5 and 40 seconds faster than a supercar. But down Conrad Strait, the fastest GT3 car will be about 280 kilometres an hour. Supercars are geared to 297. So they give away a little bit going up because they don't have the the brute horsepower that a supercar does and they don't have the top line speed they make it all up in cornering they make it all up in braking performance as well so those big stops up into turn to griffin's bend uphill into the chase it's a huge stop there from 280 k's and um, gt3 cars break phenomenally late going in there so that's probably the main difference the, the racing actually isn't that much different, to be brutally honest. Um, the thing that most fans will notice, and what I think is great about GT3, is that even though they use a balance of performance system to try and equalise the performance of the cars yeah. and allow a, a mid-mount V10-powered Audi R8 compete with a rear-engine flat-six Porsche and a front-engine V8-powered AMG Mercedes, and they can all luck within a tenth of each other, the cars have still got relative strengths and weaknesses, so... The Audi R8s are famous for being unbelievably good across the top of the mountain because they've got a lot of downforce. They're not that great in a straight line. The Bentleys and the AMGs, cars with lots of torque, get up the hill really well, and they get out of slow corners really well. Um, But they're not great in a straight line, so they struggle down Conrad straight. The Nissan GTR is the opposite. They just all horsepower and fly down Conrad. And then you get something like the Ferrari, which is just pretty good everywhere. Mm which is why they've always been successful. So you get really interesting racing where there's cars going faster in different spots compared to others, and that just makes for a really good show.
0: And the amazing thing also, the support that this race gets from the manufacturers from right around the world, 10 manufacturers no less involved in this year's race, Mercedes, AMG with their GT3s, uh, Audis, Porsches, uh, Bentleys, Aston Martin, Ferraris, as you mentioned, and also a single McLaren 650S GT3 car.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's 13 brands in the race in total, but 10 GT3 cars or brands, um, and a majority of those have what you would call significant manufacturer input into that. So, um, you know, manufacturer backing or factory drivers or factory support, um, which is just huge. It's enormous, and they put so much in. So that's really cool. It's such a big part of the event is to, to see these factory teams come down or their factory drivers come down and go head to head with the best of what we've got to offer and there's I think 11 full time supercars drivers on the grid this weekend um, so and a lot of them are the best of the best Um and then these guys that have won the World Endurance Championship, the Long 24-hour, I think there's 10 Nürburgring 24-hour winners, 7 winners at the Spa, 24. Right, these are the best of the best in GT racing, and this is the only place in the world where you can see them go head-to-head with the best we've got to offer here in Australia.
0: And these guys have the opportunity to race around some of the, uh, the most amazing tracks in the world. How do these overseas guys rate Bathurst?
1: it's right up there you know any one of our drivers will go it's top two or three tracks they've ever driven and the internationals come down and go oh well it's the top two or three tracks we've ever driven it, bathurst is a universal constant in that it's epic in every single universe
0: four categories across uh, across the field of 41 cars so it's the old uh, it's, it's a little bit like watching the old touring car days up there uh, many years ago
1: yeah, it, unlike the 1000, it's a, a race where management of traffic is probably more significant and managing the speed differential between the GT4 cars especially and the GT3 cars and, and especially at the top of Mount Panorama where there's quite a big speed differential between them. So um, you need to be cautious with that. You cannot be maximum attack the whole time. Uh, so, and we've seen leading cars in the past, make errors when they're lapping slow cars and either go offline or get out into the marbles or whack the fence or whack the car they're trying to lap and end up being out of the motor race for a silly error that they really didn't need to make. So if they were patient, they could pass them down Conrad or under brakes or wherever it might be. So that's that's a big part of this race. The other interesting factor is that it starts at 5.45am mm-hmm. and sunrise isn't till about 625 So there's 45 minutes of nighttime running. And it's unique in the world of motorsport in that they get zero preparation for it. So you got a law 24-hour, there's night practice and night qualifying, Daytona 24-hour and spa, there's night practice sessions. At Bathurst, nothing, absolutely nothing. So there's a bunch of drivers, 41 of them on Sunday morning at 5.45am, will be blazing off into Hell Corner going, oh, I don't know what's coming up, got no idea. And, um, and with only
0: headlights. Um, we haven't got a yeah, lit track, yeah. have we?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's not uh, it's not Abu Dhabi or it's not even Sydney Motorsport Park night race for supercars last year, not even like it. So there's street lights on pit straight. And that's about it. So it just adds another challenge to it. But I love that. That's what makes it so exciting.
0: There's always been a little bit of a, a, a uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit of a, uh, a gap between the the supercar supporter and a, a GT supporter. And sometimes they have, you know, there's some that like both, but some are pure supercars, some are pure GTs. I think this year's race, so gives the the pure supercar fan an opportunity to actually switch over and watch because they've got one of the best combinations that you could have of supercar drivers. As you look at Car 888, the Mercedes-AMG team Vodafone car, of Jamie Winkup, yeah. Craig Lowndes, and Shane Van Gisberg. And if that doesn't excite the pure supercar yeah. fan to switch over and actually see what this is about, then nothing ever will.
1: Well, it's like the little girl in the ad for the tacos. Why can't we have both? Like, it's, yeah, that's exactly right. Look, I I think there was a a turning of the tide in 2014 when Craig Lowndes won the first 12-hour, and he beat a young German, Maximilian Buch, who's back this year, by the way, in another Mercedes. He beat him in a thrilling finish. It was live on free-to-air for the first time. And I think people went, oh, this this is actually something. If Craig Lowndes can do it and go well at it, then maybe it deserves our attention. And I think that really helped the cause. And then since then, obviously, thank Gisbergen's gone well. Jamie Winkup and Craig won it in um, 17 in the Ferrari. And um, I, I think it's now much more universally accepted by supercar fans. that it, It's probably the other way, to be honest, that, the hardcore GT fans who, for whatever reason, just refuse to look at supercars, and, and you're allowed your opinion, you don't have to like every form of motorsport, um, I, I think it's probably helped them as well go, well, actually, these guys can, and girls can steer. They, they're serious racing car drivers, and it doesn't matter what Jamie Winkup drives or what Shane Van Gisberger drives, if it's a McLaren or a Ford, mm-hmm. it's important probably be GT and supercars for sure.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, So, uh, Kralzi, free to wear TV is also very important as well, and once again this year we can uh, watch the event uh, back at home?
1: Yeah, and and Channel 7 have been great partners of this race for four years now, and the race will be live and free on 7, mate, the whole day, um, which is unprecedented, really, you know, 12 hours. It's a a 12-and-a-half-hour broadcast on... Sunday, and then they're also showing the shootout earlier in the weekend as well which is brilliant, so it's a big commitment from those guys, but it, it works for them, it wants a very big summer of sport for that network, so really, really pleased to have them on board, it's a great day, and the best thing about a 12 hour race is it's, it's a bit like a test match in a way, so mm. you, you have it on in the background you know, wicket drops, you sit and watch it and watch the replays, and oh, that's great then you can wander off for a bit, but if you come back in two hours, it's still on and still going, and you pick it up and we'll show you some highlights every hour and away you go. So I think that's part of it. And um, the last couple of years, especially, it's rated really well, really solidly the whole day uh, on 7-8, which is fantastic. So yeah, great to be part of it and to have it on free to air. And and uh, there's a, a great live streaming package as well that people can watch around the world and you can watch it on the Plus 7 app here in Australia. So um, yeah, it, it's got a great view. It, it, it's got a cult following Chebeks around the world, yeah. though. Um, the race was one of the early ones to pioneer live streaming, free live streaming for that, and um, off the back of that, it gained an enormous following. Globally, with lots of fans from around the world tuning in at all hours, going, "What on earth is this place, and why are they racing like that on it?" Because it's usually completely bonkers. So, um, yeah, it, it' like huge audience in, in the seven figures over the course of a race, um, tuning in from around the world, which is amazing.
0: Well, Crazy, it's time to ask you that impossible question, uh, which I know you haven't got a, an answer to yet because it's it's just a tough one. But who's going to win 2019 Twelve Out?
1: Well, it, it, it is an impossible question because I think there's about 15 cars that can do it. They're one of the key Pro-Am contenders for a combination that has to have one amateur non-professional driver has got Yasser Shihin, who's a proven winner in GT racing. He's got Luke Yuld and, and David Reynolds as nice. co-drivers, Erebus running it. But I reckon they'll be lucky to crack the top ten. And that that shows you how competitive this field is. You mentioned earlier the Vodafone car with Lowndes, Winkup and Van Gisburg and a quarter of every supercars Australian Touring Car Championship race wins are in that one car. 15 Bathurst victories, it's remarkable. They're probably the favourites but there's also some internationals that I think are going to have a real presence. Bentley with two cars. It's the brand new Continental GT3. First time we've seen it here. Nissan back with two cars. Asian team KCMG, Katsumasa Chio, the hero of the 2015 and 16 races back, which is just awesome. They're going to be strong. There's half a dozen Mercedes AMGs that can have a realistic shot at winning this, including Craft Bamboo Racing, who have somehow snagged Gary Paffett, the reigning DTM champion. Um, factory drivers in Grupa M Racing, which is an Asian team, they're looking really good. The two Audi Sport Team Valvoline cars out of Melbourne, Garth Tanders in one of them, factory German drivers in the other, they're looking strong. There's, there's 12 fully pro combinations that I think can win this race, realistically, depending on which way the the performance goes with the cars and what cars do it on the weekend and the teams doing their job. Um, I mean, it's hard to go past the gurus in that Vodafone car and triple eight and all their Bathurst experience. But uh, a lot of that will hinge down on the performance of the ANG, which traditionally hasn't been particularly good at Mount Panorama uh, over the last couple of years. So it's a remarkable field. I, I truly think Chevex, it's the best GT3 field that's ever been assembled in Australia. Wow. It's not the biggest but I think in terms of depth, it is by far and away the best. There are so many good drivers and combinations that could uh, that could impress this weekend. It's going to be great.
0: All right, mate. Have an amazing weekend commentating. I know everyone at home's is uh, looking forward to hearing you and all your mates uh, bringing all the action to them live down the screen if they're not coming up to Bathurst. And uh, I'll catch you on the weekend.
1: Looking forward to it yeah, 12 hours of crazy on the TV You'll be sick of me By the end of the weekend
0: uh, Yes No <laughs> Come on Yeah
1: you will be You will be Admit it
0: <laughs> nah, uh, uh, thanks, just, Actually just very quickly Before I let you go yeah. to Fernando Alonso uh, Winning the Daytona uh, 24 hour
1: Yeah how cool is that um, I'm going to go on record Right here and right now And say Bathurst 12 hour 2020 I want to achieve two things One I want Fernando Alonso In a car Because oh, yeah. I feel like He needs to win A Bathurst major Surely two alex Zanardi needs to be there because what about that story another racing return and going so well but yeah alonso like you know when he could have one he said about this process of trying to go and winning these big races and he's won Lamar, now he's won daytona he's back at the indianapolis motor speedway in may in an IndyCar. like what are the odds on him winning that as well that would be amazing
0: what are we doing in may
1: I think we're racing, actually, Sir <laughs> I think we're ah, at a race meeting. I think we're busy. I know. Damn. Motorsport getting in the way of us going
0: gallivanting around the world. Yeah, a damn shame. All right, buddy, we'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks for your time, Crowley. We'll catch you on Monday. We'll do a full wrap of what happened.
1: Cheers, mate. It's going to be
0: good. Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Oh, and as always, On The Grid... It's always fantastic to talk to this man about two-wheel racing. Mark Brax joins us again for 2019. G'day, Braxy.
2: G'day, Shebex, Happy New Year. Happy Australia Day and all that. Uh, as the holidays come to an end?
0: Uh, I've still got one more day. Actually, no, you, no they have. i go back to work tomorrow, so that's a bit of a bugger, but nice being involved in the education system where you get that whole uh, December, most of December and January off. Exactly. Hey, uh, Braxy, I thought I'd get you on. We've got a couple of things to talk about. And uh, first of all, the, uh, an amazing weekend down at Phillip Island to kick off the year in two wheels uh, with the International Challenge and a fantastic win to Australia.
2: Yeah, it was a great, uh, great weekend, mate. always is. It's probably one of my extreme favourite weekends of the year um, because of just the uh, relaxed atmosphere of the International Ireland Classic. Um, everybody's down there for a bit of fun. Okay, they're spending money to go racing. There's no such thing as a cheap day at the track, so to speak. But um, a really good, uh, what would just say, atmosphere of camaraderie, like-minded people, like-minded souls. And uh, this year, unfortunately, the UK team didn't come out for one reason or another, but we won't get into the politics of that. But uh, the USA team stepped it up. So it was a three-way battle between Australia, the United States of America and the Kiwis. And Australia did win in the in the in the long run after the four races over the two days for the uh, international challenge guys, made up of bikes from around the 1982 era, and uh, but uh, not without a plenty of drama along the way. Shebex, the first race was uh, marred by a very serious accident to mm. one of our visiting, visiting Americans, and uh, he high sided as he was giving chase in third spot to Dave Johnson and uh, Jed Metcher, and unfortunately for Bo Beaton and uh, his immaculate, or well, the immaculate Irving Vincent, and he rides uh, at um, Boomy 1600 V Twin, Bo <laughs> <They laughs> had nowhere to go, and he hit, them, hit the stricken bike on Jason Prigmore and he went over the bars, and both of them end up in hospital with mm. uh, different injuries, but they're not life-threatening or anything, but still cast a pall over the meeting. Um, we'll see that happen, and as you know, Shebex, when you're commentating, you see that stuff happening, it's heartening and stuff, and... Uh, really, really scary and you're trying to get the straight point, so to speak. But look, you know, from the exit of Turn 11 to Turn 12 at Phillip Island, you're probably doing in the vicinity of uh, 200, 220 kilometres an hour.
0: Yeah.
2: uh, It's never going to be good. No, it happens very quickly. But thankfully, Jason Pridmore, one of the nicest guys in the paddock and I felt sorry for him because he brought his mum out and the first time his mum's been at a race meeting in about 20 years.
0: Oh, God.
2: He ends up in a hospital going to um, uh, the Alfred with him. But anyway, uh, we went through that. And uh, one of the other Americans, Josh Hayes, a multiple AMA Superbike champion in America. A uh, bit of history for him by being the first American to win a race at the International Challenge. So the Americans have really stepped it up. And I wouldn't be surprised. Well, we're going to have more UK teams out here next year as well. Um, you know, the organisers of Philobiner, Fergus Cameron, uh, they went out on a bit of a limb with what they were doing here to try and give it a bit of a re-jig it around a bit. And they copped a the lot of flack. And as I said when I uh, hosted the presentation last night, they deserve uh, hats off and a round of applause because of the fact that uh, what they did, uh, they got a lot of brick bracks during the course of the last six months thrown at them and it's not going to work and this and that. And don't usually, you know what it's like, mate. Yeah. It's that um, they managed to kick a good goal with it, kick a few freckles along the way, and I think it's, uh, it's uh, a good sign for the future. The Americans will go away enthused that they can beat them, and I reckon they've got a lot of riders that they could call on that'll be actually ringing people up going, hang on, I want a part of this now, coming down here in our wintertime do- or near wintertime for what was, as you know, um, Chebec's this weekend, the weather was just absolutely pristine. Fair enough, Thursday, Friday might have been a bit brutal, but uh, the weekend on the whole, mate, perfect conditions for racing, and great crowds turned up. Uh, and it wasn't only just the international challenge, it was 52 races over the course of the Gee weekend, uh, starting on Friday afternoon, and you being a fellow commentator, you'll un- understand that by the time we got there on Friday yesterday afternoon, uh, it was... Um, you were cooked. <laughs> yeah, basically, but... Uh,
0: you and well Phil, You there. and Phil Harlem always do a great job together, mate, and... I know that it wouldn't. It would have been a massive challenge for you to do that many races, but you would have just eaten them alive.
2: We did, evidently, from the, what the the accolades we got afterwards. So, no, it's always good to get those pets on the back as you know. Um, it's often that you hear the bad things, you don't hear the good things yeah. when people come up and show their appreciation. And always, you think, well, you turn me on the phone and go, well, they are listening to us.
0: Yeah, exactly. So,
2: no, and as you know, mate, you've got to be entertaining and informative, but you don't take yourself too bloody seriously.
0: No, true. Uh, I'll tell you what, you mentioned uh, Josh Hayes and the great job that he did to be the the first American to to win a race. Uh, It was his first time at Phillip Island. He's got a a bit of a pedigree, this boy, a four-time AMA Superbike champion. Yep. Uh,
2: 68 Superbike wins he had over there. He is. A really, really down-to-earth nice bloke, actually. Um, And he said, I wish you'd stop asking me about Phillip Island. He said, there's no other words to describe it except it's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, he said after the first race, and Larry Pegram, who's another legend over there in the AMA, um, as they said, he said, "I like to win, man, but I don't like to win that hard. <laughs> you guys are just plain crazy." <laughs> so it, it just shows you that these guys, like Steve Martin, won the Ken Wooten Award for yeah. the highest point during the international challenge. He doubted himself on Thursday and Friday, going, "Oh, I've lost it. You know, I did that other bike, and I'm not doing this, and not doing that." But Mate, you put a helmet on these blokes, the Sean Giles, the Josh Hayes, the Jason Pridmore's, any of them, mate, and uh, they go out and they ride the the wheels off it. You know, it's uh, just the nature of the beast, I think. You can take the boy away from the racetrack for a while, but you can't take the racetrack away from the boy forever, that's for sure. No,
0: ain't that the truth? And Braxy, I was talking to Crowley just before. Um, when we're talking about the 12-hour the and the fact that we have so many international guests coming to Bathurst this weekend for the 12-hour and just how much they love Bathurst. And we, we hear it all the time from the MotoGP guys and, and guys like this who come to Phillip Island and they say just how great Phillip Island is. And we hear it from the Formula One guys who talk about Albert Park and how much they love it. We have so much to hold our head up on, don't we, and be so proud of our motor racing here in Australia and how it stands up to the rest of the world.
2: Oh yeah, mate. These guys waxing lyrical about it. one in particular, Jorge Guerrero, um, a, uh, a Cuban Texan. He was born in Cuba <laughs> and left there when he was twelve. So we can honestly say that he's the first Cuban the race at Phillip Island. Um, and we were saying, um, oh, because he's probably know, not the first
0: Cuban to be smoked
2: though. <laughs> no, true. <laughs> Um, and it, we were saying, I said, oh, you've got to watch the bumps through Turn 1 and bumps going up through up through Lukey Heights, you know, they can un- and settle a bike. And he's gone, bumps? You guys don't know what bumps <laughs> are. Come to Texas and try a couple of tracks over there. So he said, I've been looking for these bumps for two days. I can't find any yeah, of them.
0: Fantastic. <laughs>
2: so, uh, and they just love it, you know. they You, you see it on the uh, television, you see it on the PlayStation and things like that. But as all of them said, until you get there and actually ride it, and they've just gone, mate, can't wait to come back. And I think we've really got something on And all honesty, mate, if you're going to go to a bike meeting for the the first time, I'd highly recommend uh, the Island Classic because it is absolutely cracking You've got just access everywhere. As I said before in the intro, it's a relaxed atmosphere. Everybody's there for the same reason. You haven't got any of these restrictions that you have with the the international events that come, which they've got to do anyway. I'm not mentioning about that, but it's mm. just that it's a whole different different um, scenario and just something that's um, really, really, uh, you know, you can go and talk to the riders and punters that have got their own bikes, you know, from ages from teens to, well, what was the oldest competitor we had there? 84 years old still, right? And um, not too bad and, you know, you got guys in their 70s. Well, you know, Wally Campbell, Malcolm Malcolm Campbell, one of our legends of Australian road mm. racing for the last, what, 40 years. He's 65 now. Um, comes out a couple of times a year. Well, probably once a year race recently in, uh, with his son, Scott, on the old Honda RC30s, those magnificent machines from the 80s. And uh, he got the fastest lap in one of the races, of a 141 in that particular category. And I was talking to Phil on Air about it, and I said, well, when you look at it, he hasn't actually slowed down because if you look back at the times, like the first Grand Prix at and pole position was a 137, 138. There you go. Um, and so when you look at the superbikes of that era from 30 years ago in the mid, early, the mid-80s, um, they were doing 141s, 142s around there anyway. And I actually went up to Waller yesterday in the morning. I said, mate, I put that scenario to him. He said, well, now that you mention it, Braxy, I am doing about the same lap times as I was yeah. doing back then. So. I, um, I think, and I suppose that it's good, the same could be said for four wheels when you get guys like John Bow and all these blokes that you'd be thinking of putting the feet up, and, uh, but they're still getting out there and having a steer, and it, it keeps them young. Bobby Rosenthal, 72 years old, and when he races, it's just... Uh, like, and uh, I don't know if it's the adrenaline, it keeps you young, but something keeps us young, that's for sure. No,
0: you do know, because you've done it yourself. You know exactly what it's like.
2: Well, yeah, I'm going to get in offers to go racing again too. So I'm just about to buy myself a track bike. And, oh uh,
0: God! <laughs> and this could be the last we hear of Mark Brex. No, no, no,
2: no. You've got to keep your aspirations and capabilities. You certainly do. <laughs>
0: you certainly do. And
2: before I let you go, mate, I'll just uh, give a quick hash on. Uh, World Superbikes.
0: Yeah, well, of course, they're coming to Phillip Island. I was just going to say, if you did miss the uh, the Island Challenge and, the, and of course, the uh, the Island Classic at Phillip Island this weekend, you still have another chance to watch motorbike racing at Phillip Island in the next couple of weeks when the World Superbike's come out for their three-race extravaganza. Yeah, well, you
2: yeah, hit it on the head. Uh, Tony, there's three races. Usually only two races What uh, in the last couple of years, been one on a Saturday, one on a Sunday. But now on a the Sunday, they're having two races, one... Uh, I think it's a 12 or 15 lap sprint. Uh, when they, that'll be great because they won't have to worry about tyre wear or whatever. Because we know how abrasive and abusive the Silver track is on the tyres and machines. And uh, you look, um, we've got a couple of Aussie wildcards in there with Troy Herfoss, the uh, defending Australian Superbike champion. He'll be uh, um, <clears throat> part of me pounding the Peter Honda around uh trying his best, and I know that team is building a fully-fledged superbike and giving him every opportunity to uh, showcase his talents in front of the world. Fantastic. And Tom Taparis, the young kid from Golden in New South Wales, he'll be uh, signed with the Yamaha team in Australia this year, and they're preparing a bike for him to contest the World Supersport event there that'll be held on a Sunday afternoon as well. So a bit of Aussie flavour to get your teeth around. It's $120 for the three-day pass, oh. and that gives you access to the paddock and everything to get up close and personal. They've got some good innovations to, for the, the fan zone, as they say, to get the fans up and close with the riders before and after the races.
0: Yep.
2: Um, and I think uh, they've come out here. They've just done testing in Jerez and uh, Portimao in Spain and Portugal, respectively, in the last couple of weeks. And that will be the end of it. They've got one more day of testing at Portimao today. Then everything will be packed up and they head out to Australia before the uh, for the meeting on the twenty what is it, twenty second or the twenty fourth of Feb. But uh, on the Monday and Tuesday before that they've got their final hit out for the year with the test the final test for the year. But I'll tell you what, after the last couple of tests that are at Port of Now, mate, um, Jonathan Ray again, uh, the fastest. And I think they've got to give him, I don't know, make him race with a flat tire or something. <laughs> He's, uh, he's just decimated. Alex Lowe's on the Yamaha has been second in both tests at Areth and uh, Portemau. So the Yamaha's up there. But interestingly, um, between the top eight at Portemau yesterday, it was only 0.8 of a second. So Chibis. it is pretty small. So it is going to be a, a pretty tight season. And uh, the man to watch out for with this new Ducati, they've got the B4, Alvaro Bautista, who was. Uh, I'm sorry to see leaving the Moto GP paddock because he's a very underrated rider. He's just one of those guys that, uh, from the politics of uh, no room on the bottom, no room in the field. So he's stepping back to the World Superbikes. As he said, on, on, he's got a new helmet, it a new era. Yeah, so cool. uh, he was third fastest, just uh, on his what, third time on the bike, just 0. 0.4 of a second off uh, uh, Johnny Ray's fastest time. So he'll be one to watch out for it, as will top that Rez, uh, Razgat Rialdu, the Turkish rider. He's coming along in leaps and bounds. Tom Sykes, Johnny Ray's ex-teammate, is now with BMW. Um, there's a lot to get excited about for the, uh, for the World Superbikes for 2019.
0: And there's a lot to get excited about for 2019 here on the grid, because Braxy, you're in fine form again, mate. We look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks' time as we preview what should be an amazing weekend down there for the World Superbikes at Phillip Island.
2: Look forward to it as
0: always, you bitch. Talk to you soon, buddy.
2: Cheers, mate. Take care.
0: Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid. So that wraps up another episode, our first episode for 2019 of On The Grid. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the 12 hour this weekend and we'll uh, look and dissect it all on Monday. Till then.